politics Some culture and craft beer Politics And that is why you're here Politics Bottoms up Bottoms up and welcome back. This is Blotto and uh, once again I am solo as I will be at least until I get a guest on and as soon as I get more comfortable with the technology I will dare to bring in a guest assuming that you all would be able to hear that person. Uh, so until that happens uh, I'm just going to expose my own opinions and now you're forced to listen to them. Uh, but you don't have to agree with them. So um, I'm going to get right into the beer this evening uh, without much ado because I'm thirsty. Um, tonight I have a Beards Brewing and uh, some, uh, some a little whimsy uh, with, the, with the brand here. Um, this is their oatmeal stout and they're calling it the Brimley Stout. Uh, Brimley being in reference to Wilford Brimley, the actor with the big bushy mustache. And then they have him sort of animated, uh, looking like the guy on the Quaker Oats cardboard bucket or whatever they would call that thing. Um, so I don't know, you know, why they chose him, um, Brimley Stout, uh, but uh, it fits in very nicely with the whole oatmeal theme. So um, it's 5%, uh, I think, oh, 5.5%, rather. And um, their description says, a full-bodied oatmeal stout that is robust and rich in flavor, dark and roasty with a creamy finish. It's the right thing to do and the tasty way to do it. You know, other typical things that they put on their can. They do call this a limited release. If you don't go out and get one soon, you may not be able to. Maybe they'll bring it back next year. I don't know. I suppose it depends on how well it did or how special they want to keep it. Uh, so I'm going to give it a go here. Being that it's a dark and creamy stout, I would expect it to be a lot like motor oil. And I'll tell you, it's not. Um, as I poured it into, the, in, into my glass here, I would call this kind of a medium-bodied stout. Certainly not as thick as I'd seen some and not as dark as I uh, have had in the past. I did get a nice uh, frothy head, so that's always good. And uh, immediately the aroma hits me. And it's very nice. It's malty. I think there's uh, some chocolate notes in there, which, you know, in my opinion, you should get with a good stout. And I've learned, and I think we've talked about in the past, there really isn't an oatmeal flavor per se. Um, that's just kind of what they put in there, help make an oatmeal stout. But, and if you think about it, oatmeal doesn't have much flavor anyway until you add brown sugar or fruit or whatever you put in it. Uh, so let me give it a little taste here. Oh, it's not bad. Uh, it, it might be a little run-of-the-mill for me, but certainly drinkable. Uh, it's got a little bit more on the back end than I would prefer. And the mouthfeel, like I said, is a little weak compared to other stouts. I, I'm sure I'm going to uh, finish this one and finish the, 
the, the rest of them that I have in the beer uh, cooler now. I, I guess I don't have a treasure trove anymore. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to get one. Uh, I just have a beer cooler. Okay. If I, if I have more to reflect on it because it is basic oatmeal stout, I'll, I'll tell you uh, as we move along here. Mm. But also, as I noted last week, it's difficult uh, to chat amongst myself and also drink beer. Um, before we get into um, the core political topics uh, of the last uh, couple hours and the last week, uh, you know, today was a, a pretty monumental day in the political cultural scene with the passing of Rush Limbaugh. And uh, I am not one to celebrate the death of somebody, um, but that doesn't mean that people like Rush aren't fair game in terms of reflecting back on their life, their legacy, and their footprint or their imprint on society. And, you know, being one of the most divisive figures in media and politics for as long as he uh, he, he was relevant uh, can't be overstated. Uh, I think that, you know, his brand of divisive politics, divisiveness was really part of obviously the creation of Trump and in many ways the Republican Party that is today. And you know, so when I hear, you know, certain news outlets complaining that liberals are dancing on his grave, uh, I don't think that's a fair, there are some for sure. And, you, you know, some of you may want to do it as well. And, and I certainly understand why. But I also think there's a lot of people out there just saying he, he was really a pretty awful human being. And, you know, just because someone dies, that doesn't mean that everyone has to be martyred in, in a good way. And, and and Rush certainly, you know, fits into that category in my mind. I, I, I'm not going to miss him. And it, there's other people that are going to pick up the torch and continue to go, and they already have. But hopefully there's a little bit less of it uh, without Rush on the scene doing his best to uh, incite hatred uh, within our political uh, environment, because that's really what his brand was. Enough, enough said on Rush. The other thing that I wanted to mention, and I'm going to talk about it a little bit more, and that is what's happening in Texas. And the storm there has been responsible for I think 20 deaths, and it's really disrupted people's lives in a way that they're really unaccustomed to, and perhaps we are accustomed to here in the North. But that said, uh, you know, a lot of mistakes were made and have created this. But uh, in this case, my heart does go out to all the people that are suffering in Texas until uh, they get kind of, you know, back on the grid. And I, I have a couple of personal stories that I'll, I'll share with you after we do the impeachment recap and um, a couple of thoughts I had about that. 
so the Senate trial ended on Saturday. It went as expected, right? Um, Trump was not going to be convicted. The convict side did pick up one additional senator. Uh, so that put the total at seven. And then with the tie that's already in the Senate, it, it turned out to be, I think, uh, 43 to 57. And that is the largest majority ever to vote in a conviction on the president for impeachment. And, you know, they need two thirds and they were 10 short of that. But the fact that, you know, this was a bipartisan impeachment and a bipartisan conviction really, I, I think, says enough. Um, it does make me wonder if, you know, the bar is set too high for uh, a conviction. And certainly the bar is set too high for poor behavior by a president. But uh, maybe, maybe, you know, this could, you know, be a trend. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. And, and so a couple of the things that, that happened from that impeachment besides, well, okay, first, we, we have to, again, mention just the ineptitude of the defense lawyers. Uh, that is, is kind of what Saturday was about. They took three out of 16 hours to uh, make their case. If this was in any kind in front of any kind of a jury, I, I I'm pretty sure that the uh, the defendant would be looking at some serious time. You know, the fix was in such that they didn't have to even they didn't really even have to present a case. At the end of the day, they they they, they could have said the defense rests, and maybe there's one more senator that says, "Well, that's just crazy," and so I'm going to vote to convict. But um, you know, it, the, the fix was in. But I think it's really interesting to see kind of what's happened after the acquittal. And I personally don't like the term acquittal. Uh, I, I think that is giving the president or whoever avoids conviction uh, too much to boast about because it's not a criminal trial. And there is an impeachment first. So when the House goes through an impeachment, they feel and basically vote on the fact that there is such wrongdoing that it needs to go to a conviction type trial. And so you're really not getting acquitted because the impeachment still stands. I don't know, maybe it's just lack of a better term. But in the aftermath of the acquittal, I, I don't even have a better term. Um, the non-conviction, how about that? Uh, you know, there, there's been a, a, a number of senators that have uh, uh, come out and basically said that Trump should probably be held criminally accountable for incitement of insurrection. And, you know, most notably of that would be Mitch McConnell. And, and then there was Rob Portman and uh, Marco Rubio kind of said that. And, you know, when I'm watching the impeachment trial and looking at the evidence that the House managers or the prosecution are bringing, that was my first thought. Like, like this is so damning. Why isn't this criminal? And I don't know that it will be. And then for them to come out and say it, 
I think it's really sort of telling. And I don't think they had to say it. So I'm, I'm still trying to, to look at, at the angle here a little bit. I'm still a little skeptical. Did they say it because they feel as though if there was a DOJ prosecution, that would rally their base and that would somehow energize them and strengthen the Republican voting base? Or do they really want Trump out of the way, but didn't want to be the ones to do it because they still need that base? That's probably what it is. It's to say, somebody else take care of this because we're not. And they had all kinds of funky reasons to say that, whether they went back to the constitutional issue, which was already decided in the first half of the trial, or just no reason at all. Uh, I think I saw it was a pie chart of all things that said something like 13% of the non-conviction senators uh, were voting that way based on the merits. So you you had another 67% of the senators either voting on the constitutionality or for, for non-conviction or uh, voting for conviction. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a pretty... Uh, a, a pretty small number that felt like, okay, and then you don't know whether they really believe that he was uh, guilty of insurrection or not, because they're going to hide behind that. Uh, and I guess 13% would be 13 senators, right? So I, I don't know what the game there is by coming out and, and saying it. it. It's likely that they want somebody else to, to do the dirty work. Now, what would what would happen if the DOJ came out and said they were going to prosecute Trump. I, I, I think liberals, uh, Democrats, or progressives w- would, be, would be thrilled. Um, I think I would be, but the fallout politically would be very, very damaging in many respects, I, I think. I, I, I'm not really sure. Maybe you can hide behind Mitch McConnell and Rob Portman's statements. I just not sure how it would play. It would be earth shattering. I, I think if the federal Department of Justice went after a former president, and don't get me wrong, I think that they should. I'm just trying to say, well, how does it play politically? And maybe we shouldn't look at things through that lens because that's why we have the problems that we have. If we just look at things basically saying it's it's right or it's wrong, and it's criminal or it's not criminal, then the politics of such start to become very secondary or thirdary in a way that they don't even hit the screen. But that's not where we're at today. And the Trumpsters are still out there, you know, banging their pots and pans and putting on their tactical gear and they're still waving their flags. And I just not sure, you know, if we could ever get past the optics of a Biden administration prosecuting uh, Trump. And I don't think he's going to. And I think there's enough at the state level that he could be, ser- uh, you know, facing some serious charges with some serious penalties. And, and maybe that's going to be the way it, it, it ends up. I, I'm not really sure. Uh, none of us are, right? Um, there's a, a couple of other things that I wanted to note here regarding the, the, the senators that 
came out for conviction. All of them, I think, are facing, all the Republican senators are facing censure. And I'm sure they don't want to be censured by their state houses, but what the Republicans are doing by censuring all of these senators are basically they're cheapening what censure is. I've never really felt it was going to move that many people one way or another. It's almost, I don't want to say that impeachment has been cheapened by, you know, the party that thinks that everything is just a witch hunt. And so they're doing their best to cheapen impeachment and just say Democrats, you know, have Trump derangement syndrome. And that's the only reason why there are impeachments. I I think they're also cheapening censure. And uh, that's a shame because if you're a politician and you're representing your people and you get censured, it should mean something. It should mean that somewhere along the lines, you failed the people of that state. And of course, it's impossible to believe that, you know, anyone who voted to convict Trump on impeachment failed their state. Of course, they didn't fail their state because that's what all the evidence pointed to. There were there were two here that really kind of jumped out at me. The first was Pat Toomey from Pennsylvania. And there was a Republican official from the state of Pennsylvania. Um, his name is Dave Ball, and he is the Washington County Republican chair. And basically, he puts out this little video saying, we didn't send you to Congress to do the right thing. Uh, we did not send him there to vote his conscience. That's that's amazing. So it, he, he, you, you're admitting what the right thing is. That's, I guess, not a matter of question at that point, if you're saying we didn't want you to do the right thing. And, you, you know, you shouldn't be voting on your conscience. You should be voting for what your base wants. And that's always what this is about, right? Is the Republican base is just about winning. And that's the other thing that kind of came out as a, uh, as a piece for uh, post-impeachment. And that was Lindsey Graham saying those exact words, that it was about winning and that they need Donald Trump for 2022. And that's why he didn't vote to impeach him. We could do shows on the horrible things that Lindsey Graham has said and acted upon ever since Trump came into office. And, you know, I think Lindsey Graham got bounced out of the, uh, the, the primary in 2015, 2016. I think he was in the primary. And so that's a really long list of deplorable things Lindsey Graham has said. But it's just interesting that when you put those comments together, that it's all about winning and not doing the right thing, it kind of shows where the Republican Party has has gone, that they're no longer hiding their disdain for government or their disdain even for their own constituents. They really are just about uh, power and winning. And, you know, both at different points in history, you could point to both parties and probably say those things. I mean, you know, Newt Gingrich, for instance, I don't know if back in the 80s he ever said it's just all about winning. He, he, he's going to massage that in a way to say that this is winning for the American people or 
something along those lines. But the Republican Party has been just painted into this corner with Trumpism that they can't gloss it. They have to own up to what it is, basically. And and we're seeing that play out because one of the things that I really believe happens is over time, the truth really kind of surfaces. And hopefully that's not ever distorted by history, but I think we're a lot smarter than that today. And just sort of as an example, a, a very current example, there's only you know a really small segment of society that still believe that the election was stolen. Like there were lots of people that believed it November 4th. There's lots of people that believed it November 10th, January 6th. You know, at least on the on the on the political leadership side, no one is espousing that any any longer because the truth is the truth about it. So that's kind of what the Republican Party has become. The truth is they have become a party of Trump and they're not going to try and gloss it over any other way. It's we want your base because we have nothing else to run on. And they have nothing else to run on. I mean, it's going to be really interesting in 2022 and ramping up to 2022, what kind of what kind of messaging they have. I, I don't think they're going to have one. I mean, they might they might try to replicate what what Trump did. I, I don't know why you'd want to do that. I, why, you know, let's never never forget. When Trump was in office, he lost the House, the Senate, and, you know, only one term as, as president. So <clears throat> why they would want to emulate that, I, I have no idea. But uh, that's what they're going to continue to do. And that is their strategy. And I, I don't see how it's going to work. Trump um, did come out of his mole hole uh, this week and put out a couple of statements, uh, one uh, against Mitch McConnell and the other one. Uh, the other thing that he did was a, a Fox News interview, and I don't even know if I'll listen to either one of them. But as the GOP embraces Trumpism, who will want to be side by side with him during their campaign? I don't think Mitch McConnell will want him on the stage with a lot of other senators or Republican congressman running for office. That's why I still think he's going to fall into irrelevance. The only people that are going to bring Trump on stage are going to be those in the deepest red districts, and he's going to be treated as a clown and really not do anything to help or hurt those folks that are in such solidly red districts or states they cannot lose. And, you know, hopefully what we've seen from 2020 was there are more purple states. And if there had been any progress made in ungerrymandering congressional districts, hopefully we're going to have more purple uh, congressional districts as well. Um, so I, I'm not really sure I, I see Trump as, as being relevant in the way that Lindsey Graham says, because that base is dwindling and it's going to be harder to energize them. He couldn't energize them enough anyway. I want to circle back to the issue of censure and how that could have been avoided for any of these Republicans that voted to convict. The Democrats had the opportunity to rewrite the impeachment rules and could have easily inserted 
that it was going to be a secret ballot. Uh, there's nothing in the way of preventing them from doing that. And instead, I, I think what I heard as an excuse was that they had all sort of settled in and agreed upon the rules of, I believe it was Clinton's impeachment. And this is another one of those areas where Democrats have to play hardball. It's just too easy to say, okay, this is the way we did it, because the Republicans will not do it the way we did it if it doesn't benefit them. And I think that there would have been one, an entirely different vote that would have happened. And then you wouldn't have had all these other crazy statements coming out about whether it was criminal or not, or whether it was constitutional or not. And you would have avoided all of these censures, which I don't really care that Republican senators are censured by their own state governments, but it would have made the whole process really very different probably would have even changed the way that the cases were presented and would have given so much more cover for a conviction. So I'm not quite sure, other than just the excuse that they had, which was, you know, we were doing it the way that the rules were set up in 1989 or whatever it was. But regardless, I think that, you know, the Democrats just have to figure out ways to do things that benefit them. Okay. The other thing that also has uh, occurred since the impeachment conviction trial was over, there's been a lawsuit now filed uh, for the insurrection against Trump and Giuliani and the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, and I'm probably missing somebody else. I, I was a little confused by this, and I don't know if anybody else was. At first, I thought there were two lawsuits. There was uh, the NAACP was filing a lawsuit and then the House Homeland Security representative, Bernie Thompson, was also filing one. But now I think I've looked into this a little bit more. It looks like Bernie Thompson's lawsuit is it's going to be managed by the NAACP. So I, I think it's one and the same. You know, again, I kind of looked at it as, you know, why isn't this criminal? Where's the criminal charges? As I said, Here's a lawsuit, so it really only makes it civil. And I, I, but I am kind of wondering. So they're they're bringing up this statute from 1871. It was also known as the KKK law. So it's a law. So they're doing a civil lawsuit based against a law that was broken. Could there be a criminal charge against that same law? There, there must be penalties attached to that law because that law was designed uh, during Reconstruction to make sure that organizations like the KKK were not threatening politicians in, in, in the South for doing things that were allowing blacks to vote basically back then after the Civil War. So they, did, they, they didn't want um, the newly freed blacks to participate in the, uh, in the political process. And so they were doing what they, they could to make sure that uh, that didn't happen. And um, that's uh, kind of what this law was designed to do. And that's the law that they're going to sue Trump over. I have listened to a few experts uh, on the TV about this. They, they really feel like there's a very good case. I don't know if there will be or won't be. I, I, I say this because civil lawsuits aren't in front of a jury. And... You know, that's the shame because 
I would much rather see this criminal and go in front of a jury and, you know, then, you know, maybe, you know, Trump has to come in. But there is, there still is a discovery. There still is a sharing of information. There's still an investigation. And so a lot of those things are going to come out. I, I don't know that you're going to find this connection between, this direct connection between Trump and those other groups that were planning to do something at the Capitol. Like they were, they were planning to storm it or attack it or, uh, you, you know, that was going to happen. Those folks went there. Some of those folks went there with that in mind. You know, they felt like they were working on behest of Trump to do it. But it, it, incitement is, is, is often difficult to, to, to prove. But I think when you look at the, the totality of it, uh, I would I, I wouldn't bet on the defense in this one. That's for sure. And I wonder what lawyers Trump's going to get. That's even going to be better. I don't know if those guys would want to do it, and I would doubt very much Trump would want them. Maybe maybe Rudy Giuliani is going to defend himself, uh, represent himself. That that would also be quite entertaining. And so this this lawsuit's going to, and there could be more. There, there could be more lawsuits. Uh, you, you know, I wonder if the people um, that were injured in this are going to file civil lawsuits uh, against Trump for uh, inciting the riot. You, you know, there's some a Capitol policeman who lost his life. Um, we still don't know much about that yet, which is a little bit bothersome, but another topic. There was another officer that lost some fingers, another officer that lost an eye. And, you know, and I think there's a, a number of them, as two of them have taken their life, have really ha- had a hard time dealing with the events of that day, so all of those could be plaintiffs. One of the one of the challenges I think also you always have in these civil lawsuits is you must have standing. Unfortunately, I say unfortunately, but you, you know we we have a very good criminal justice system when it's working the way it's supposed to. Um, standing is important, and you must have been a victim in some manner in order to bring forth a suit. And I, I think that, you know, there may be, there, there may be challenges to that. I, I haven't really uh, read anything about the, the legal expertise as to whether or not Bernie Thompson and the NAACP have standing. I, I think certainly those folks that were injured have standing. And I think there are Congress people that, you know, had their offices denigrated, probably have some standing. You know, hopefully this thing doesn't get thrown out on kind of a more theoretical basis of what the real damage was, because then, you know, there was real damage done to the country, of course. Now, what they're seeking uh, in this lawsuit are basically compensatory and punitive damages. You know, there's a lot of folks out there that have said Trump's not going to go to jail and Rudy Giuliani's not going to go to jail, but hit him where, where it really hurts. And uh, that's in the pocketbook. Criminal jail time is what will really hurt Trump. But, uh, you know, somebody had mentioned that the um, Southern Poverty Law Organization, they have brought down a number of racist organizations uh, just by bankrupting them and uh, taking them to court over other civil matters and getting punitive and compensatory damages uh, from them. So hopefully uh, that's kind of what, what shakes out. Uh, of this, and we'll have to see how it goes. 
you know, it, it could move very slowly, but there's so many other things that Trump has on his plate from a lawsuit standpoint. Um, and then if the DOJ decides to ring this up on criminal charges, uh, boy, oh boy, you know, hold on to your, uh, hold on to your mask then. And lastly, uh, what I wanted to say about the impeachment trial and conviction is I, I hear a few things about precedent, you know, with, so, so now we've added a January exception as precedent for the next president or for any president. Do something corrupt uh, in his last several weeks of office uh, because he's not going to face any real consequences for it. Uh, the one thing that we have learned with Republicans, and I suppose politicians in, in general, but precedent is not set by them. Precedent is set by the law. And these are not criminal and barely legal proceedings. And so if if Biden does something that the Republicans deem corrupt on his last day in office, you can bet they're going to impeach him and then, you know, try and and bring up a trial later. I guess the best example I would have for, you know, not following their own precedent is the Merrick Garland situation, right? We're not going to nominate a Supreme Court candidate during an election year, oh, unless we have a Republican in office. So the, the precedent argument regarding impeachment and those wringing their hands over precedent, uh, it doesn't really apply because it's, it's not held to a legal standard at, at all. And there, there's nothing stopping any politician from being as two-faced as ever um, and, and hypocritical. All right. Well, I've got to uh, take a sip here. <clears throat> Otherwise, I'll never finish this beer. And uh, it is pretty tasty. You know, a good stout should still go down well, even as it uh, kind of warms up. And uh, that is so true here. But I'm still going to stick with what I originally said. And it's a little on the weak side. It's, it's not as hearty and robust as what it probably should be. Um, for a, a, a good oatmeal stout. And sometimes that's a matter of maybe the IP, um, the ABV ought to be a little higher. Six, 6.5 to me is kind of a sweet spot on what the uh, alcohol content should be for a stout. Uh, and I think that also adds to the mouthfeel. Hmm. I, I said I was going to circle back to uh, Texas. And yeah, very quickly... You know, there's this chatter out there from the right that they're trying to politicize this somehow in that the failings of their grid and their power generation and distribution uh, problems are, are somehow related to the Green New Deal or Democrats and liberals. And it, it's, it's, it's I, you know, I don't mind sometimes politicizing things, even when they're not really supposed to be because uh, you can make a point. Uh, but in this case, you just can't lie. Uh, and of course, they're going to do that. But, you know, uh, Governor Abbott and some of his other cronies out there are saying that basically it's because they were, I, I, they don't even say they were forced to use wind power. Uh, and now the wind machines have failed. And so that's why people are out of power. Although 
you know, there's still over 3 million people in Texas without power and they've only get around, I heard different numbers, 8 to 13% of their power comes from renewable sources. You know, they, there was a graph that showed how, you know, coal, uh, coal power generation in Texas has been going down and that solar and wind is going up. But the chart completely left off kind of where natural gas is, which is also a fossil fuel energy. And that has really what what has replaced uh, coal. And that's always been something that Republicans, air quotes, have been um, pushing for. So it's all... It's all just a bunch of lies, anything that they're saying out there in in terms of why this happened. Why it really happened was because Texas didn't want to participate in federally mandated regulations. And so they opted out. I don't know how they opted out or when they opted out, probably, you know, won some lawsuit or something. But basically, those regulations would have made their power generation grids much more robust. And they felt that they didn't need to follow those guidelines of winterizing and backup systems and more robust systems to save money, to line the pockets of their cronies, you know, the rest of it just be damned. And now when they have a real winner, because, you know, when I started seeing these memes about, you know, windmills frozen and solar power panels all full of snow next to like a dark city. I I knew it was farcical because we have windmills right here in Michigan that operate year round at very, very cold and harsh temperatures. Like just, just ridiculous just just to say. Now, maybe those wind machines did freeze, those turbines did freeze, but if they froze, it's because they're not made correctly. They're not made to withstand then cold temperatures, which this is an oddity, but it's 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 not cataclysmic oddity. It's it's not once in a millennium oddity. You know, I don't remember the last time Houston had a snowstorm, but it has happened in the past. You know, Vegas gets snow as well. Uh, so this was just Republicans not wanting to spend money to make sure that their uh, citizens are you know, being taken care of. That's, that's all it, it really is. And then, and then you've got the hypocrisy side, right? You've got, you know, that talk of, you know, they want to secede from the, from, from the union because, you know, they're their own state and they can do their own thing. And, and now you have this and they're just like, you know, r- running to the federal government looking for help. Uh, and the, the other sort of, uh, hypocrisy there is that they also now want to make sure that their socialist programs, okay, those made, uh, those designed to help folks that are in some kind of trouble are working. And and so now you have the citizens also, you know, looking for those, uh, um, you know, again, air quotes, uh, socialist programs. Uh, to help them out in their time of need, which is what government is there to do. That that's that's pretty much other than defense. That's pretty much what government is there to do, right? Take care of the uh, the general welfare. Um. So real quickly, I guess I do have a couple of just poignant things about Texas as it relates to me personally, and 
uh, I'll leave that as kind of my, my cultural thing today. I, I'm not really sure. But as it stands, uh, Pop-Tart and I were supposed to be in Houston today. Um, she was having a medical procedure done there, and it is only done in two places, Houston and New York. New York's not doing elective surgeries, or it's very difficult to get in. So Texas was our next option. And now, because of the Republicans there and the fact that since Monday they can't get their power on, uh, that had to be rescheduled. And if anyone knows anything about like you know rescheduling trips, um, you know it's 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 just a huge hassle. You know, there's Airbnbs and hotels and cars and all the other arrangements that you have to make. I would say this that of the big companies that we have dealt with in the last 24 hours, they have all been spectacular in terms of their customer service. Uh, I, I do want to say that both Delta, uh, Marriott, and Airbnb have been more than accommodating in terms of not penalizing us in any way and actually even working with us for the future needs of our trip there. You know, I can really be down on customer service sometimes, especially from the mega companies. But in this situation, I got to say, um, you know, they all uh, stood up, you know, doing the right thing. And in many ways, I, I, I don't I don't know if customer service is coming back, getting worse or better from COVID. But again, a lot of those big companies have tried to be very accommodating during the COVID crisis. Now, this is not, it doesn't have anything to do with COVID, but maybe, you know, having to be more flexible because of the COVID crisis has led them to, you know, to, to, to policies that, okay, now you've got the Houston crisis that also then kind of needs the same remedies. Could be. Uh, and then the other is that a guest on the show and also, uh, I don't, you know, don't know if it's a secret or not, my daughter, Pina, she was relocating down to Texas to take a job working at a primate sanctuary. Yes, you heard that right, working with monkeys. I know we all feel like we do, but she really will be working with monkeys. And so her and her mother went down there, and lo and behold, they pretty much, you know, had to drive through a snowstorm, uh, made it there safely. We're going to spend a couple days in Galveston, of course, the place that they rented, that doesn't have any power. Uh, they've moved into a hotel and things are just starting off just peachy for them. So that's my own personal stories behind what's happening in Texas. And they all seem to hit at one time. Our needs to go down there, my daughter's needs to go down there, all sort of then collide with, you know, once in a decade snowstorm in Texas. Anyway, so that's all I got. Appreciate you uh, listening in. I will be back hopefully uh, next week or so. In the meantime, listen up, drink up, and potems up. Politics, some culture and craft beer. Politics, and that is why you're here. Politics, potems up.